and welcome once again to the Inspired Minds Podcast. Uh, please, 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 please welcome the lovely and talented Miss Michelle Holbrook. Michelle, please say hello to the Inspired Minds audience. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Michelle Holbrook. And again, Jeff, I just cannot thank you enough for allowing me to be on the show and for us to talk uh, just about life in general. So I'm really excited. That is what we are going to do. And to start this interview off, I always start the same question for every single person. And that is the following. When you were young, what was the first thing that inspired you when you were a child? Was it a song or a book or a movie or a person? Go. I think the, well, let's say this. Corey Ten Boom, I read her book when I was younger, and I think she inspired me. I also think Anne Frank inspired me and just, um, enjoy, you know, just the enjoyment of meeting other people and being able to connect is what really inspired, inspired me then and inspires me now. Corey Ten Boom, I remember that name. Uh, what was the story on Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom was a Christian lady who lived in Germany when uh, the Nazis invaded Germany, and uh, she was put in a. Uh, she was involved in the Holocaust, in the Holocaust, and put in a prison camp because she was hiding the Jews from the Nazis. And her story tells about her time there and just her faith in Christ. And so she really inspired me as a, as a child and also as an adult. Was the book The Hiding Place? Am I remembering that? It, right? it is. Wow. I have access to some old memories right there. My brain just lit up. <laughs> I remember that. That's right. And I will say this, actually. I have been to Anne Frank's uh, house out in Amsterdam. Oh my goodness. You and I both. And I will tell you when I walked up the stairs, um, to her home, I actually had chills all over me. It was unreal. I mean, especially when they went to that false wall and you saw where she literally was in that little area. That was an eye opener for me. It, it is. Um, it's heart wrenching. It just, um, it, my heart hurt just mm -hmm. knowing that they had to live like that. It's terrifying. Uh, can you kind of pull on that thread a little more? What about those two people inspired you? Just one thing specific? Well, I think, um, number one, I think their faith in God. Mm -hmm. Um, I think their tenacity to continue to press on, even in the difficult. And so I, I think, um, and, and for Anne Frank to be such a young girl and to write a book like that, it just goes to show you how strong she was as an individual. And, and then you look at Corrie ten Boom, who was young when she was in the concentration camp, and how she continually held on to her faith in God and just relied on him and just um, always looked at the positive through the negative. And I think those two things really inspired me. And that's what I try to do as the ambassador for the Children's Tumor Foundation and also just in life itself. Absolutely. Tenacity, faith. Uh, learning from lessons, I think, also from trauma, it can, can be incredibly important. It can be. And I think, um, and, and this is a twofold, but 
I I did not find out I had neurofibromatosis until I was an adult, but I had the most amazing opportunity last weekend to be able to be with children that were that have neurofibromatosis, and these are kids anywhere ranging from nine months to the young adults that are twenty five to thirty. But having to live with this disease their entire life. And um, the struggles and the pain and just, you know, and especially the families, the mothers and the fathers not knowing what's going to happen next. So to be able to spend my time with them last weekend and just love on them, to me, that's what it's about. And then and and to be able to share to the, with them, I am here with you to walk beside you in this journey and we just have to continue to press forward. And that means um, continuing to raise awareness for NF and continuing to get the word out there. Um, The second part of my trauma is three years ago, I lost my son, my only child to a fentanyl overdose. And the trauma that you go through as a mother losing your child and especially your only child is heart-wrenching. So I feel that God's really given me some amazing opportunities to be able to share with others and talk with others about addiction and just the battle that we're in with that. We are, and you touched on kind of two things I really <clears throat> wanted to bring up. Um, start If you can, start off, well, first of all, I know that you're the uh, the current uh, neurofibromat, I'm not even saying it right, um, but the ambassador. You can say NF. <laughs> NF, that works. Um, so if you can, because you know, part of the reason I wanted to do this is because I know nothing about, I can't even pronounce it, obviously, uh, and there was schwannotomatosis, I think that might be right. Can yes. You please educate me and the listeners about what this is. Of course. And I am so excited to be able to educate everyone about this uh, uh, very rare genetic disorder and disease. First of all, it's called neurofibromatosis. And when I was first diagnosed with this, I had never even heard of it. And I walked into my doctor's office after having an MRI, and he said, You have neurofibromatosis. And I said, I have what? Yeah. Because I couldn't even pronounce it. And sometimes it's really difficult for me to pronounce um, even after, you know, being diagnosed with it for as long as I have. But um, there are three different types of neurofibromatosis. And we'll say N, N as in Nancy and F as in Frank, NF. Um, there's NF1, NF2, and then the type that I have is called schwannomatosis. And the NF1, the majority of the tumors that you have are outside of your body. You have the lesions all over your arms and legs, um, your trunk area, your brain, anywhere that there is a nerve ending, you can have a tumor. NF2, a lot of the individuals that have NF2 have the acoustic neuromas, the brain tumors, the spinal tumors, and the vestibular schwannomas. Uh, The type that I have, which is schwannomatosis, I have um, brain tumors, spinal tumors. uh, I've had tumors removed off my legs. Um, 
I have two vestibular schwannomas, which could cause uh, me to go deaf if they can, if they grow. And, but I do see a lot with the NF1, the NF2 and schwannomatosis, they're so intertwined. Um, When I was in New York last weekend, I was speaking with one of the mothers and I was asking her and she had in the, the child had NF1 and she said, but she has some brain tumors. Well, NF2 and schwannomatosis have brain tumors as well. So again, anywhere that there's a nerve ending, which is from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, you can have a tumor. And NF occurs in one out of every 3,000 people. And, and it affects millions worldwide. So let's break that number down. It's, I want to say it's, it affects 250 individuals every 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. It can lead to blindness, bone abnormalities. A lot of individuals that have NF have scoliosis, can lead to cancer, I have a dear friend of mine who is who is going through cancer right now because of her NF leads to disfigurement, learning disabilities, and in my case, just um, just excruciating, disabling pain. Yeah, I I read about that, and I want to ask you about that as well because um, I am personally unfamiliar with uh, constant pain, uh, but I have friends of mine that have that as well. Um, The obvious question is, how do you live with that? Um, I'm a fighter. And I think every single one of us that have NF are fighters. And I saw that last weekend. I mean, we're tough. Uh, There are days, and I, I know my body well enough that I know when I have to slow down and I have to rest and I have to say, I cannot do this because I am in such pain that really there's nothing I can do except put my feet up and just sit still for a little while. Um, I exercise and, and I am an avid runner. And so people don't understand that either, but uh, to me, a body in motion stays in motion. So I try to stay active and I try to run and, and sometimes it releases the tumors where they're pressing on the nerves and it gives me some relief. And so that's one of the reasons why I, I am so adamant about making sure that I'm healthy and I exercise. And, and that reduces the pain overall? Um, it doesn't really d- reduce the pain, but it does help with the pain. Mm. Right. On a, it, it, this is a therapy question, but on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate pain for you? And I'm sure it fluctuates. Uh, uh, Some days it's about an eight or a nine. Other days it's about an 11 or 12. If you're on that one to 10, it can go off the charts sometimes. So what do you do when it's that bad? Uh, That's when I know my body well enough as to where I just sit and I know I have to stay still and just um, put my feet up. Um, You know, I am on medication. I do not, I refuse to take the hard stuff. I I will not take an opioid. And I think that goes back to my son passing away and just being so scared of them and 
and knowing the type of addiction and that um, the Oxycontin um, and, and it scares me and it's not that certain people don't need it and I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying it's not the right type of medication for me. And I also want to try to do things that um, are that are non-habit or non-addictive. So I, I do take gabapentin, which is a nerve blocker. And, um, you know, if, if I'm in the amount of pain that I where it is an 11 or a 12, I will take an extra one of those during the day just to calm my nerves a little bit. You had said that you were diagnosed when you were an adult. Does it present in adulthood? It does. Um, A a lot over half the cases, uh, there is no family history. It is a uh, spontaneous mutation. Based on. I saw that this weekend. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, it's it's considered a spontaneous mutation. There's no no one in their family has NF, uh, or no one has been diagnosed with NF in their family. And even some families that do genetic testing, no one in their family has it, and it's just a spontaneous mutation of the gene. Wow. Um- how many cases are there per year, r- roughly? Hmm. Uh, that's a tough question for me, and that's one that I don't know. Um, all I do know is that it affects one in every 3,000 people. I don't know what it is per year, but it, it, it's, it seems, and maybe it's because I try to raise so much awareness for NF, um, I hear of someone daily saying, oh, my goodness, I have a friend who has NF or um, a good example. I, I always wear my Born a Fighter T-shirt or my Children's Tumor Foundation T-shirt. And I had gone to I went to a work event the other day and I walk in with my Born a Fighter shirt and a young man looked at me and he said, my mother and I have that same shirt you have on and I went, do you have NF? And he said, yes, my mother and I both do. Wow. But see, I was not diagnosed. I started having mobility issues at the age of 25. I played sports and was very athletic my entire life. And so when I started having issues, I just thought that it was an old sports injury. Well, I went to a, we were living in Kansas City at the time, and I went to an orthopedic surgeon, and he thought I was crazy, but went ahead and did an MRI. And when he did, I came back to see him, and he said, Michelle, I need to send you to a neurologist or a neurosurgeon. You have a tumor on your L4, L5. And that was at the age of 30. So I'd been having issues for a while. And then at the age of 30 was when they officially diagnosed me. And at the time when I was first diagnosed, I only had two. I had one in my L4, L5. And when my neurosurgeon was doing some x-rays before surgery, he found one on my right uh, backside uh, long rib area. And now I have over a hundred tumors in my body. Wow. 
Um, mm-hmm. Question: When you got diagnosed, how did what did you how did you deal with that? What was the process for you at that time? It was tough, and I'm not going to lie about that. It was very tough. I was living in Kansas City. Um, I had a five year old son at the time. My family was still living in Atlanta. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't know what the future held. And when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know if it was malignant. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I was scared. I was scared to death. And um, I just, I can remember him way back. So I'm sharing my age now. Back then when I was diagnosed, we didn't have cell phones. So I couldn't get in touch with anyone. So I I went from the doctor's office to home and I could not get to my home fast enough to call my mother to say, mom, they have found a tumor in my spine. And I just remember standing in the kitchen, just crying, talking to her saying, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that's normal. I mean, that is normal. And I, when I speak to parents about that who just are, are struggling or feel bad because they cry or feel bad because they feel like they can't do enough, those are normal feelings that you have. And that's where I want to step in and say, hey, I'm going to walk beside you on this journey. I love that turn walk beside you. I use that all the time with my clients. The, yes. And, you know, there's other thing, actually, I did want to kind of just briefly interject. Um, I, I love that fire concept because uh, I have my own story I might get into here in a bit. But um, I, I actually, I tell my clients at least and myself, quite frankly, that I'm a warrior. And I and I say this all the time. I say like the Spartans, like the, like the Assyrians, like the Shogun warriors and it's because when warriors fall down, they reach out their hand and they get picked up by other warriors on the battlefield. Yes. Exactly. You, you know and, that. And I do. And, and I will take this a step further because I am, I am very strong in my faith. And that is what gets me through. Um, I, the one Bible verse that I use, and, and I used it, I use it for NF and the Children's Tumor Foundation, but I also use it for when my son passed away and being able to raise awareness for addiction and substance use disorder is Genesis fifty twenty. What you intended to do to harm me, meaning the enemy, God intended it for good and for a purpose to save the lives of many people. And I firmly believe that. What was, that? Know, what was that verse again? I got to write this down. Genesis fifty twenty. Genesis fifteen twenty. Fifty All right. five zero. Oh, Genesis. Okay, hang on. Sorry. And it, it's when Joseph was thrown in the cistern by his brothers, and he went from the pit to the prison to the palace. And the palace, yeah. you know, t- to me, the palace is when I'm able to sit in heaven and just rejoice even more. I love but, it. You know, you talk about being a warrior, and one of the things that I look at is when Moses, um, in in the New Testament, he was so weary, and he felt like he couldn't go on anymore, and he couldn't hold his arms up anymore. He couldn't hold his hands up, and every time his hands went down, they were losing the battle. 
But every time his hands went up, they were winning the war. And his friends, so his hands, when his arms were getting tired, his friends came over and held his arms up for him. And so I have people doing that to me, holding my arms up. And so I want to do that to other people. I want to be that person that's going to hold their arm, that per, that other individual's arms up so they will be able to win the war. Uh, what a fantastic metaphor. And that basically answers a question that I had, which is what compelled you to be a leader and share your story? And I think I know. Yeah. I think, did you hesitate when you had the calling, let's say, to help? Um, did you hesitate? No, no, I didn't. I was so excited. And I, I told someone this the other day, and this is so true. Um, I'm very involved in a Sisters in Christ organization, and and we have um, we have a couple of conferences going on right now that are called Brave, and where we go out to different communities and um, speak about putting on the full armor of God and being brave at, at what we do. That is something that I love. Um, just being able to go out into the community and talk to others about NF and to talk to others about addiction and to talk to other people about Jesus. That's my, that's my desire. Those are the desires of my heart. I told someone, a friend of mine this morning, I said, if I could do this for the rest of my life, I would do it. Right. Because you found your meaning and your purpose, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. My husband might my husband might disagree with that and say get back to work, get to real estate. But um, you know, that's his dream job and he absolutely loves it and he is amazing at it. My dream job is to be to to go and encourage others and to speak to others and you know, just to motivate others to just really fight for what they believe in. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's there's that concept of, um, of finding meaning, right? Purpose. I, yes. I often say this, that, you know, as a, and by the way, I'm a young therapist. I've only been doing this for about two years now. But I often say that I was called to do this work. And when you are called, you have to answer. You're supposed to. Yes, you are. Um, the saying goes, delayed obedience is disobedience. So when you're called to do something, you need to step out and do it. And, and it goes back to Moses. He was called to do something. And I remember in his story, he was fighting with God saying, well, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not this. I can't do that. Quit giving the excuses. He has called you for a plan and a purpose. So get out there and do it and fight for what you believe in. And just because you're not good at it, that if he's called you to do something, he's going to allow you to be great at it because he's behind it 110%. I could understand that. I, I, I want to kind of just jump in just one more thing before we get into uh, some of the, the addiction uh, discussion. But okay. on a side note, as I mentioned earlier, I had a had a, an incredibly rare disease as a child, and I'm curious. I always ask this question: Have you ever heard of Raya syndrome? 
I have, but I the name sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. Right. The reason that the name sounds familiar is it is on the back of every single bottle of aspirin, Alka-Seltzer, and Pepto-Bismol since 1986. There's a big warning on all of those labels, which nobody reads, obviously, because nobody knows what this thing is. And just on a quick, essentially, it was um, it was really terrifying back in like from like 74 to 1980. I had it when I was uh, a kid. And what happens is the liver shuts down and then bacteria goes to the brain and then you have encephalitis and then all the kids have comas and there's about a 40% mortality rate and most of them don't come out so well. All kinds of problems, um, lung disease and can't see and just a raft of disorders. And the case rate is why I was asking about the case rate out of curiosity. Um, well, to, to backtrack, in 1980, they figured out that it was a, um, it was a connection to aspirin basically. And if a kid had a viral illness, then there's an incredibly rare chance that the liver shuts down and all that stuff happens. And nobody knows what this thing is. I didn't know what this thing is uh, because I kind of forgot about it. And then the doctor mentioned it to me about 10 years ago and he was shocked that I was even standing. And the, the, there's the total case rate between 74 and 80 when they kind of figured it out after 80, they figured it out and it cliffed off. But the highest case rate was 555 in 1980 across the U.S. And with the 40% mortality rate, you know, you're only talking about, I think it was like 3,500 cases total before they figured it out um, since 74. So the math works out that I'm about, there's about 500 of us survivors since then. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's super rare. It's I, I did the math actually, and I am 0.802% unique actually <laughs> um, but but I got lucky because most of the kids again most of them were dead and then some of them most of them have like long-term damage I didn't for some crazy reason thank God but and how do you feel say again how do you feel I mean do you have any side effects no. or from from um, anything I mean are there maybe, any side effects maybe the problem is, uh, well, first of all, I'm bipolar, and so I've had my own mental health struggles. Mm-hmm. And so, th- th- who knows? There's a possibility that the that that the uh, Raya syndrome and the encephalitis caused the bipolar, but they'll never know because there hasn't been any long-term studies on it. Because there's what 500 of us to have survived. Like, no one's going to pay for that. <laughs> so, yes. But I say this to say that I'm, I'm always just fascinated by rare diseases. But I really would love to go into addiction. And um, first of all, I am so terribly sorry about your loss. I can't. I lost my wife uh, to a suicide. That was kind of what I was Mm. mentioning earlier, about uh, almost 10 years ago. Wow. And so I've had my experiences with grief. And there was also a lot of addiction there as well. So if you don't mind talking about that and what you've learned from all that experience. No, not at all. Um, my son was, his name was Chandler Cook, and he was just an amazing young man. He just had a disease, like I do, that he couldn't fight. And it is a tough one to fight, as I'm sure you know. Certainly. Um, he struggled. And it's, it's a day-by-day or step-by-step fight sometimes. But uh, January the 21st, 2020, he had been in some 
trouble in the past. And, you know, we had to set some boundaries um, in, in order for us to be able to stay healthy, to try to get him healthy. My husband, John, and I really had to set some boundaries. And sometimes you have to love someone that's an addiction from a distance. You have to hear what they're saying. But with that being said, he we thought he was doing really well. He had been in jail. And then we had asked the courts to please put him in a rehab facility after that. Because to me, you can't go from jail and go right back out on the streets no. with no tools to help you succeed. Yep. And so the judge was allowed us to do that. He agreed to it and signed off on it. So he was at a an addiction facility, at a residential facility, for almost six months. And then he um, it, it got an apartment on his own and started working. I did not like where he was working because he was in the out. You know, he was a bartender and he was around the alcohol and the substance and. And, um, you know, I, I was concerned with that, but he seemed to be doing really well. And then when COVID hit and he lost his job, lost his stability, was um, confined. And as you are well aware, mental health and addiction go hand in hand. And he became depressed and bought um, what I guess what he thought he was buying heroin and cocaine off the streets and it was laced with fentanyl and it killed him. And, um, you know, it's I I, I saw it firsthand with Chandler and I, I, I see it firsthand with other individuals and I'm very involved in um, the homeless coalition here it, where we live. And I love, love, love every single person that is there. Um, I'll tell you a great story. And, and this is, this is where I, you, I, I always, to me, I always want to turn that negative into a positive because I know that there is a great plan. But there was a lady that was at the at the um, homeless coalition, and we feed them in the mornings, and you know, do different drives and different things like that. And she just kept tugging at my heartstrings. And so every once in a while, when John and I'd have dinner, I'd make an extra plate and I'd take it up there to her. She was homeless, and um, just abs- I fell in love with her. Just I mean, she is such an amazing lady. So one day she said, I'm ready to get help. And I said, I I can get you help. Well, I had contacted my contact at Teen Challenge, which is not just for teens, but they have women's shelters and men's shelters. Wow. So I contacted her and she said, oh, Michelle, I'm so sorry. We don't have a bed right now. Well, we were able to get her into Gateway, which is a detox facility. And this is what upsets me, where our system is broke and we need to do something about it. Because with these individuals, it's a life or death situation. It's not, okay, let's wait five days before we get them a bed. You can't do that when you're talking to someone that has addiction and mental health issues. Yeah. Um, They called me the next day and said, she has COVID. We can't keep her. So I took her to an area hospital 
And they said, we don't have any beds and they weren't going to keep her. So you're telling me that she is back out on the streets again? I was furious. And and I kept saying, I have to trust. I have to trust. And I mean, I have to trust God on this because I had been praying for the for for her. Well, I pick up the phone on Sunday and I called my contact again at Teen Challenge and I just said, Sam. I have to have a bed. This is life or death. And she said, Michelle, as a matter of fact, a bed just opened up. Can you get her here tomorrow? I said, we will be there. She is five months sober. Wow. And she is thriving. So it might take a little extra effort, but it is so well worth it. And just like with us, with neurofibromatosis, it might take just a little extra effort to speak to the doctors or to to do the different things that we need to do for this disease. But in the end, it is so well worth it. Yes. And I will say, you're right about the system being broken. I went through the system when I was going through my stuff. And it's horrible. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Oh. And listen. I could go on and on about it. Um, And this is another thing that really upset me. During COVID, you consider uh, a liquor store to be essential business, but you you do not consider NA or AA to be an essential business. And you expect these individuals that have mental health and substance use and addiction disorders to get on a Zoom call. When they're already depressed by being in the house alone, yep. they need connection. Yes. You said the word. Oh. You absolutely said the word. I am so, my whole thing is about connection these days. Yes. A thousand percent. Connection can save so many lives. Yes. Um, and that, you know, and that should be my word, connection. Because we have to connect with one another. And 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 I remember one time Robin Roberts, who I absolutely love. Um, and I remember when she was going through cancer and she said, some, some, everybody has something. And it is so true. But that everybody that has something has to make that connection to help that someone else that has that something. And that to me, that's what it's about. That's what our purpose on life is about. And, and that's why I am so passionate about raising awareness for the Children's Tumor Foundation and for NF is because we need to make those connections with each other to be able to hold one another's arms up so we won't be weary and be defeated. Absolutely. And in fact, have you heard of a study that was done, I don't know when it was, I think it was relatively recently, where uh, there was a there was an individual rat and in a in a cage, and the water bottle was kind of laced with um, an opioid. And mm-hmm. so all the rat did was just like that, 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 drink, 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 drink. Then they tried another thing and they put uh, a rat with a bunch of other rats, right? Kind of in a close, a close area. 
And turns out the rats basically didn't even take the opioid. They were good. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Because exactly. And, and also just being next to each other, you know, that kind of had those hormones because obviously physical touch, you know, oxytocin and all that. So they didn't need anything. It was strictly connection that brought them together, which is why, because I'm a, I'm a big AA guy. That thing saved my life about 12 years ago. And it's that. It's that connection that you have with somebody that has the same problem and the same language to get out of it. Yes, you were so right. And, 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 and I see that like when I'm involved in the homeless coalition and we serve at the day drop center and you'll laugh at this, they call me the Gatorade lady because the summer, how I got involved is it was so hot in Florida and I had gone into Walmart and they had the power aid and it was the big power aid and it was for sale for 88 cents a bottle. And I thought I can afford 88 cents a bottle. And I can, I was standing in there and the Walmart lady is looking at me going, what are you doing? And I mean, I'm just throwing as many as I can in my cart. And, and I told her, I said, well, I, you know, I've just, I, I want to give it to the homeless because it's so hot outside. And so my nickname up there is the Gatorade lady, <laughs> but I, I love them. I, I mean, and, and the great thing about it is Jeff is they embrace me and I embrace them back. Yep. And it's not about where you've come from, because as you know, any disease is not about race, religion, um, social status, none of that. A disease is a disease. But I love the, the it just I was up there this morning and just the hugs and coming up and giving me a hug and me being able to give them hugs and just telling them that I love them. And that's important to me. And that's important to, to those, to, to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're homeless or not homeless, or you have addiction issues or you have NF or whatever you have, you know, we have emotions and, it drives me crazy when people are like, we just need to get rid of the homeless. No, no, no. you don't. No. You need, we need to set some things in place to give them the tools for them to be able to succeed. When did you realize that addiction is a disease or did you always know that? Um, you know, when Chandler first started his journey with addiction, I thought, you can stop at any time. Wow. The more research that I did and the more I read on it, I realized that it is a disease. It is a chemical imbalance in the brain. Yep. It is, um, I think a lot of it has to go with mental health. I think some of it has to do with trauma, mm -hmm. um, but it is a disease, just like the disease that I have. Now, with that disease, and I read a great book um, by this guy. It's called Unhooked. His name is Jason Coombs, and he was a he was a, he was an addict, and he now has a rehabilitation facility in Iowa. One of the best books that I've ever read, and um, he talked a lot about it. But the more research that I did, and just 
you know, reading up and talking to Chandler and watching him not being able to stop, I realized it was a disease. But I also say this, on the other hand, it's each individual person's choice of whether they make the choice to try to get the help that they need or if they go the other way. I can't do it for him. I couldn't do it for him. And he wouldn't have been able to do it for me. Just like with my disease with NF, mm-hmm. I have to make the choice to get the necessary necessary health care that I need in order to stay healthy, in order to focus on my tumors, to make sure that if they are causing issues, that I have to, you know, to have them surgically removed or sitting with my doctor on what the next step is. So. And it's like kidney disease. If you have kidney disease, you have to go to the doctor. Right. I have neurofibromatosis. I have to go to the doctor. With addiction and substance use disorder, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go to AA. You need to go to NA. Uh-huh. You need to be in that support group. A thousand percent. My, can we be best friends? <laughs> yes, we can be best friends. I, I thought that when we first started talking. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's so wonderful to hear you talk about the medical model of addiction because, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't know that <laughs> until I got sober. And I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. that makes so much sense. Um, yes. You know, the other thing I wanted to kind of just throw by you here before we kind of maybe wrap up in a bit is, and I, I figured this out for myself and I tell my clients, this and anybody I can talk to you, that this kind of give a speech, which is when you face trauma, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, when you face trauma, in my opinion, you have one of two choices. Either you adapt or you die. And I don't necessarily like the word surviving personally because it sounds so passive. It just sounds like I'm getting punched in the face all the time and I'm still standing like cool. But in the adaptation, well, let me go backwards. The, the, the death, quote unquote, can look like actual death. It's you know suicide, addiction overdoses. Um, dying with a broken heart, just a sad, somebody has no purpose in life. But when you adapt, and this is the thing I love so much, which is called post-traumatic growth as opposed to PTSD. And that's when you have to, you have to adapt because your world has got blown out. And if you're going to even go a step further, you're going to have to kind of work through all that or kind of work almost around it because it never really truly goes away. But in that adaptation through whatever method you want, that's where I think the beauty is. It is. And the one word that comes to mind is press forward, press on. Um, and we have to continue to press. Um, as hard as it is, we have to continue to press forward. And if I could read something to you really fast, Please. and I think this really sums it up. Again, uh, my dear friend lost her beautiful daughter the other day, and she and Chandler had met each other in rehab and um, dated for a little while. Mm. I think that if they wouldn't have been in rehab or they would have been sober, they would have been able to continue to press forward with their addiction and um, taking the necessary steps to make sure that they were sober and stayed clean, they would have been a power couple, no doubt. I mean, they were both beautiful souls inside and out. 
but I do want to read this to you really fast. And this talks about pressing on and pressing forward. And this is what I wrote on my Facebook page. I said, um, my dear, my dear friend lost your beautiful daughter the other day. It brought back raw memories and placed one more hole in my heart. When you lose a child or someone that is close to you, the pain of your heart sometimes is too much to bear. My thoughts the last few days have been everywhere. Part of me wants to crawl in a hole and hide. Part of me just wants to run, but I know that I cannot do either. You see, Rachel and Chandler were more than friends. They had a connection and a bond. This morning, as I was trying to settle my emotions, God placed some thoughts in my mind that bring me comfort. When Chandler passed away, I I remember standing at the gate of his apartment and God saying, it's my turn now. I know when Rachel walked through the gates of heaven, Chandler was standing there embracing her saying, it's God's turn now. And I'm so glad to be walking this journey with you. The disease of addiction is brutal and a fight every day, sometimes step by step. A song that came to my mind was Scars of Heaven by Casting Crown. This song represents everything I feel and I know my dear friend feels. I share a few verses of this song, not to sadden others, but to let others know I will continue to fight this fight for both Rachel and Chandler and every mother that has lost a child. The only scars in heaven, they won't belong to me and you. There'll be no such thing as broken and all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are the hands that are hold, that hold you now. There's not a day that goes by that I don't see you. You live on in the, all the better parts of me. Until I'm standing with you in the sun, I'll fight this fight and this race I'll run until I finally see what you can see. There is not a day that goes by that I don't think of Chandler, and there will not be a day that Colleen will not think of Rachel. One thing I am thankful for is that Chandler went before Rachel and was able to welcome her in heaven. I can only imagine he gave her the biggest hug and kiss, and they are now walking hand in hand in the presence of Jesus. Remember, Christ went before us all to prepare a place for us, and one day we will walk in and we will have the joy of Chandler and Rachel welcoming welcoming us in as Jesus embraces us all. That is lovely. Absolutely beautiful. And thank you for that summation, perfect summation. Um, I, I hate to do this, but I have, we have to wrap this up. I don't want to. But um, so I will say this. Thank you absolutely so much for doing this. Here's how I like to end every episode of the show. It's really simple. Um, I'm going to pretend to say goodbye. You're going to pretend to say goodbye. And then we're going to hang up, quote unquote, and then we'll just keep talking after it for a couple of seconds. Deal? Deal. All right, here we go. Here's my, is a little acting involved, perhaps? I'm going to start off by saying, I'm honestly, Michelle, what an unbelievable warrior you are. My goodness. Thank you so, so much for your experience, your strength, and your hope. And most importantly, I cannot believe I remember the name of that Corey Ten Boom book. <laughs> I'm shocked. So now your turn. 
Oh, Jeff, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough about allowing me the opportunity to raise awareness for the Children's Tumor Foundation and for addiction as well. And I just hope that through our conversation that people will get passionate, become passionate about things that they're very involved in, and also to become passionate for the kids that have NF. Amen, sister. Preach. Um, So I'm going to pretend to say goodbye like I said, and then we'll just keep chatting for a second. All right? Sounds great. Take care. Uh, sort of take care. We'll talk in a bit. And three, yeah, and a two, and again, goodbye. <laughs>